0: To Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes Episode 1. This is a movie and music podcast. I'm Andy. I'm your host and today we are going to be talking Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, before we do that, I just want to give you a quick rundown of sort of what the format of the show is. Um, obviously, we're new show. Uh, I'm going to be going solo right now. I'm looking to add um, a co-host uh, but you know, right now it's just about making schedules work. Um, looking to release an episode once every couple of weeks, maybe more frequently than that, hopefully more frequently than that. Again, just based upon how, how schedules are going to work out. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so we're going to be looking at classic movies, a lot of classic movies. If you love movies from the, the 80s, the 70s, Um, even coming all the way up to more modern movies, depending on what movie it is, uh, as well as albums from those time periods as well. We're going to be breaking down some classic albums, some classic movies, actors, directors, uh, bands, musicians. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, if you're in it for the nostalgia, you can get it here if you're in it to learn more about you know, this kind of stuff and what I consider to be the best era of movies and music or just entertainment all around, um, then this is probably the show for you. Today, like I said, we're going to be talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, So first off, my history with Ghostbusters and just uh, just I'll go ahead and tell you now that I'm, you know, my next movies I'm going to break down are probably going to be Ghostbusters one and two and do episodes on those just because it's an obvious one. Um, Ghostbusters is my favorite movie of all time, the original Ghostbusters. Now I'm a fan of Ghostbusters too. I'm a big fan of Ghostbusters too and I always have been. But Ghostbusters is my favorite movie of all time, which is uh, funny because my favorite franchise of all time, is Star Wars. Um and and it really always has been as far back as I can remember. But Ghostbusters has always been my single favorite movie. I think it's a perfect blend of science fiction and horror and comedy. I mean, you know, it's a it's a blend that you don't see much of in movies and somehow they capture it all. Uh, like lightning in a bottle and you hear that term a lot with Ghostbusters and it's absolutely true it was lightning in a bottle and you know we'll break down that movie I don't want to get too much into it because we'll do it on a separate episode as well as the uh, you know the the second movie and um, probably the the animated series the real Ghostbusters because I was a fan of that as well when I was a kid still a fan of it um they air the episodes on YouTube, if you didn't know. And um, I think they put one out, new one out, every Saturday. Not new, but uh, they put a, uh, an episode out every Saturday morning. And, yeah, I mean, it just brings back a lot of memories, to be honest. Uh, and it's it's really awesome. Big Ghostbusters fan. So, naturally, Afterlife um, was a movie that I was very excited for. And the marketing for this movie was not huge, but it was done pretty well. Um, It was made clear very early on that this movie was for the fans. And I think the biggest reason why that was the focal point of the marketing was because of the Ghostbusters reboot in 2016. Again, that's not a movie I want to get too much into. The biggest reason for that is... I don't like that movie. You know, I gave that movie every chance in the world. I went and saw it opening night. I sort of disregarded every bit of controversy around it going into it and just decided that I was going to give it a chance. I was going to go to the theater on opening night. I was going to give it a chance. I was going to see it. I did, and I just didn't enjoy it. I didn't think it was a very good movie. I didn't think it was a very well-written movie. I think that it had plenty of talent in it, but I think that that talent, was really done an injustice <laughs> to be honest in the writing um, it felt way too improvised throughout the movie which improv is great improv is good and if you're a fan of the original Ghostbusters you know improv can be incredibly good uh, especially when you have a talent like Bill Murray but in Ghostbusters 2016 it just f- felt like the whole movie was uh you know like an hour and a half long SNL skit it just didn't you know, it didn't have any charm to it. And, uh, you know, the story was not incredible. Um, the villain was not incredible. And this is all just my opinion. You take it for what you will. If you're a fan of that movie, that's great. But, um, I don't want to get too much into it because it's sort of a dead movie. Uh, it didn't spawn, you know, a sequel, which is a big reason why we got this movie, and it's a very controversial movie for a lot of political reasons, which I definitely don't want to get into. Um, you know, the reasons I, li- I didn't like the movie have nothing to do with anything political. Uh, it was just a simple fact of, I didn't think it was a very good movie. Um, I didn't think it was very funny. I didn't think it was, you know, it didn't have a great story. Um, everything that it tried to do, I sort of felt like it failed in, in trying to do and and so that's my opinion on it just uh and and i'm i'm only saying this just kind of give you my background with ghostbusters but i think it's important to know when you listen to this it's important to know that i am a big ghostbusters fan um right now in my home i have bookshelves with a, a ton of ghostbusters memorabilia uh toys collectibles things like that um so you know and I've always been like that again as far back as I can remember but going into this movie this new movie Ghostbusters Afterlife I was I was so excited because I knew it was going to be for the fans and you know it it really sucked how you know, this movie kept getting pushed back and getting pushed back because of COVID, which is, you know, nobody's fault. That's just sort of, you know, the world we live in um, right now and, and sort of the reality that we're dealing with. But it has finally come out and I saw this movie opening night. I have seen it um, twice since then. We went, well, actually, we saw it opening night kind of early went and ate and then went back and saw it and then I have uh seen it again uh a couple days later Uh, I took my nephew to see it because he's he's also a Ghostbusters fan and in short um I uh love this movie I love this movie I think that it's an incredibly well done movie it's you know of course this movie is directed by Jason Ryman who is the son of the director of the original two Ghostbuster films, uh, Ivan Reitman, and this movie is just—it has a lot of heart to it. it. It really handles the Ghostbusters property with with kid gloves. It's respectful. It pushes the story forward. Um, you know, I've I've seen some people say otherwise, and I and I'll get into that as well. But it was just sitting in the theater, watching this movie, it really felt like, you know, it it just felt like the movie that we've been waiting for as Ghostbusters fans. You know, everybody who is a Ghostbusters fan, a true fan knows the history of Ghostbusters three, you know, Bill Murray didn't want to do it. He and Harold Ramis had, you know, had a, a decades long spat. Um, you know, of course, Harold Ramis and, and Dan Aykroyd were always seemingly always working on a Ghostbusters 3 or had a Ghostbusters 3 ready to go. It never panned out. Um, and, you know, it, it just it just felt like it was never going to happen. And then when when Harold Ramis passed away. It obviously that that felt like the nail in the coffin to the whole thing. Um. And then the reboot happened and that felt like an extra nail in the coffin, right? So it's amazing, number one, that this movie exists. It it's also pretty amazing that this movie feels like the least um what's the word I'm looking for? It it, it feels like it is the least likely option. Um as far as the movie we we could have gotten. Now Obviously, we would have all loved to have seen, you know, Ghostbusters 3 with the originals as the main characters again, but once Harold Ramis passed away, you know, that was sort of not an option anymore, and to be honest, I don't think Bill Murray was ever going to do that. You know, I, I think that's pretty obvious if you know his history with this, so... To get this kind of movie, though, where it introduces these new characters, it has an interesting turn to the story and the, the continuation of the Ghostbusters lore, uh, and to be so um, respectful to the fans and, and everything that we love and appreciate about Ghostbusters, it's, it's awesome. Um, I actually, I'm a big fan of. I don't know how many of you listen to the the YHS podcast. The yes, have some. If you're a Ghostbusters fan and you don't you don't listen to them, uh, you, you should. I was actually listening earlier to a live stream of theirs where it was mentioned on the show that you know, and and I didn't really think about this at the time, but it was mentioned that this is really the first time at least in recent history that you can remember a fan base being so in unison um, on a movie, on a sequel. Right. And what I mean by that is you have like, you look at the star Wars sequel trilogy, right? You know, as soon as that, I said that out of my mouth, there's people out there who are like, they immediately think of the divisiveness of that movie and the politics and the arguing back and forth and, and everything that went with that, uh, that trilogy. And, you know, it seems like when a sequel is made to, you know, one of these legendary older classic films nowadays, or a series of sequels like this, the star Wars sequel trilogy, you know, it's really nothing but divisiveness that comes with it. That's what you see. And with Ghostbusters Afterlife, you're seeing some of that divisiveness, but it's not between the fans. It's the critics don't like the the movie and all the fans seemingly love the movie. And of course you have, you know, your outliers in the fan base who maybe it's not exactly what they wanted, but for the most part, and by the most part, I mean like, what seems like 99% of the fans love it. And that is like unheard of in these times. And I think you really have to think, thank uh, Jason Rotman for that. I think that he really, like I said, he treated this with so much respect. And I think that what you see, the final result on screen reflects that you know it's very obvious that somebody who loves ghostbusters made this movie and that's awesome and somebody who made and somebody who loves ghostbusters wrote this movie and that's awesome he and 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 gil kenan did such an incredible job with this um but you know while i'm talking about critics we might as well get into it so currently let me look this up just to make sure here currently on Rotten Tomatoes this film sets sits at a 62 percent critic score and a 95 percent audience score now that's sort of the running joke with Rotten Tomatoes is that if fans like the movie the critics aren't going to like it and if critics like it the fans aren't going to like it and it you know it certainly seems true here and you know the thing is Critics' scores and critic reviews for this movie started coming out a good month before the movie came out because critics were seeing it at CinemaCon. Critics were seeing it at uh, Comic-Con. And so you had these critics come out, and, and, and not only did they not like the movie, they if you read some of these articles, they talk about Ghostbusters Afterlife as though it's one of the worst movies ever made. It's nothing but fan service, and there's no story. There's no heart. Those are things that you hear continuously. And when you read stuff like that after having seen the movie, or let me just say this from my point of view, I don't want to, you know, put in any words in anybody's mouth except for mine. When I read those reviews now or see that kind of those kind of scores, I, I genuinely wonder if we even watched the same movie. This movie had so much heart and yeah, it was fan servicey, but it was When, when I read those articles before seeing the movie, I really went into the movie thinking that every five seconds was going to be, you know, some sort of the, the, the characters are just holding up something from the old movies. And it's really not what, what they do, uh, use as fan service in the movie is used to drive the plot of this new movie. It's not as though it's wasteless fan service. I mean, you could possibly say, and uh, again, uh, well, I want to say right now, this is a spoiler-filled review of Ghostbusters Afterlife. If you haven't seen the movie, back out now. Come back here later after you have seen it. I'm I'm definitely going to get into heavy, heavy spoilers. All right? When you talk about some of the, the Easter eggs of this movie, I mean, maybe like the Crunch Bar, you know, rapper being pulled out of Egon's uh, uh, flight suit pocket or the Twinkie in the, com- the uh, glove compartment of the Ecto-1. Okay. Maybe those are, you know, just stuff to be in the movie, to be in it. But I'm starting to wonder if, you know, these critics who are talking about, you know, this needless fan service, if they're talking about like proton packs and the Ecto-1 and Ghosts, I mean, these are all things that are obviously going to be in a Ghostbusters movie. It doesn't, you know, it, it, it's very uh, questionable what really they're referencing here. Um, you know, and it's hard to understand. And I, and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on critic reviews of this movie because they don't matter. You know, critics are just people who watch movies who are looking to critique anything and everything in the movie. And to me, and I've always personally felt this way, a movie is entertainment. You sit down, you watch it, you like it or you don't, and you walk away. I don't really need somebody who's going to critique every little thing. And and, and I realize that I'm saying this as somebody who is reviewing a movie, but keep in mind, I'm not really ever going to critique movies on this channel that I don't like. Because I feel like it's a waste of my time and probably your time. Um, if I just come on here and spend an hour reviewing a movie that is was not good or I didn't like, you know, I, what's the point? What's the point? I mean, you're going to watch the movie for yourself, hopefully, and make your own judgment on it. I made my own judgment on it, and it's nothing but my judgment. Just because I sit here and say something is trash or it's no good at all, you know, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make that a fact. It's just my opinion, you know? So the fact that these critics, you know, write things as though they should be taken to be fact, you know, and they put it out to the world and, and, you know, a lot of people read that kind of stuff is to me always been a little ridiculous, you know, you also have to keep in mind that this is not just a popcorn movie. I mean, it kind of is, But it's a movie that, and I heard several people say before the movie, um, you know, you can watch this movie without ever having seen the original Ghostbusters. I'm just going to say right now, no, you can't. I mean, you can physically do it, but you're not going to get anything out of it. And that doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you've never seen a Star Wars movie and they come out with another sequel trilogy, it makes no sense for you to go watch it unless you're just going with somebody, you know, you know, just to hang out. But if you do that, then don't critique the movie and don't, (laughs) you don't, you know, don't sit there and try to give judgment on it because you don't have any knowledge of the universe or the lore. It doesn't make a lot of sense for you to review the movie. And I think that a lot of what you see with the critic reviews on Ghostbusters afterlife, I believe it, it, they suffer, the, the reviews suffer from that kind of thing. I, I believe a lot of these people maybe saw Ghostbusters once 25 years ago. And, and you know, now they're going to see this new one and critiquing the film. And that just doesn't make any sense. And I'll give you an example. I'm not really a Harry Potter fan. And I never have been. I, I've watched the, some of the movies. not I don't think all of them. Well, I know for sure not all of them. I've seen them all in passing. They've just never um, held my attention long enough to really, you know, consider myself a fan. I I can remember watching one of them around the time it came out and generally liking the movie, but not really enough to warrant like rewatching it a bunch of times and being a fan. So I say that to say this, if a new Harry Potter movie comes out tomorrow, And a new sequel and I go and watch it and then review it and put it out to the world on a major publication publication, you know, a major website like Variety or New York Times or something like that. I mean, I feel like that's doing the people who are going to read it disservice because I'm not a fan. This is not a one off movie. It's part of a franchise. So. When I come into it with really no knowledge of the Harry Potter universe and I watch it and then I make my judgments based on, you know, just seeing what I have before me that's tied to other things that I have no knowledge of. I really feel like that's doing a disservice to the readers. And I feel like that's happened a lot with these Ghostbusters Afterlife reviews. And listen, again, this is just my opinion. I could be way off base here, but... I basically say all that to say this. Stop reading these critic reviews. Stop looking at critic scores. If you have any interest whatsoever in seeing a movie, go see it for yourself and form your own opinion on the movie. And then don't immediately, and I see people do this too, don't immediately leave the theater and then go to the internet and look on YouTube and Google, you know, Googling articles about the movie, uh, opinion pieces. Don't, don't, go do that to try and like find your opinion on the movie. Watch the movie, form your own opinion on it. If you want to go back and see it again, go back and see it again. If, if that's what it takes to form a, a real opinion on it. You know, I find myself having to watch movie a movie two or three times to really sort of digest everything, especially this new movie, this new Ghostbusters Afterlife, because there's so much happening. Um, and I just, I think that, we live in a world today where there's way too many opinions out there on the internet and they, and people allow some of those opinions to influence their own opinion. And that's really not fair to you. And you know, that's really not fair to, to the movie. I mean, if, if you like something, then it's okay to like it. And really that's another reason with the 2016 reboot that I don't want to go too deep into it because if you're out there and you like that movie then it's not my business. You know, I don't, I don't have the right to tell you that you shouldn't like that movie. And I feel like a lot of these critics do that. I feel like a lot of them, by the way they write these articles, are actively trying to tell you, don't spend your money here. Because they don't want more movies like this, they want more, you know, of these one-off original movies, and that's great, and I like those too. I want those too. But there's room for, you know, there's room for sequels like this. So that's all I'm going to say about the critic reviews. It's just kind of a rant that has been on my mind um, for a while. I, you know, I think that <clears throat> I think that these critics do a lot of harm to to a lot of probably good movies. Just because it's a job to them and it's not, you know, really sitting down and taking in entertainment. It's more of a job. And I don't think that's what movies are for, personally. I don't think that's what movies are for. I don't think that's what music is for. If you like it, you like it. And if you don't, you you don't. And walk away and go find something else. Maybe that you will like. All right. Ghostbusters Afterlife. So like I said... I love this movie. The people I watched this with love this movie. I've seen it three times. I'm going to go back this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend, on probably Black Friday and see it again for a fourth time. I'm going to buy this movie on Blu-ray immediately. Um, I'm going to buy the score on vinyl immediately, and that's something we'll get into. Rob uh, Simmonson, I believe is his name, uh, did such an incredible job with this. I mean, it may legitimately be my... uh, favorite movie score of all time it is it is just incredible um so saw this movie opening night uh loved it um you know i'd heard from some people who had seen this movie going in that it's it's a roller coaster ride like it's a legitimate roller coaster ride and I think that's the best way to describe it because you open the movie with the death of Egon and that whole sequence is incredible. The way it's done, the way it's shot lit, the, the way the score is. I mean, the movie lets you know right off the bat that this is going to be a little different um, than the original two Ghostbuster films, but it's, it's a good different. It's, 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 it's its own thing. And I really, really uh, appreciated that. I didn't know I would appreciate that, but I appreciated that. <clears throat> the 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 thing I want to get on to immediately because it's the thing that I can't really stop thinking about when when I think about this movie are the new characters. Before I went to see this movie, I liked McKenna Grace. I've seen her in a, a bunch of movies. She's been great in everything she's been in. Obviously, I like Paul Rudd. I mean, who doesn't like Paul Rudd? I like Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things in the It movies. I think that he's been great. But to be honest with you, I went in with like, my thought process going in was like, I think I'm going to like, I want the original Ghostbusters uh, to be in this movie a lot for a long time. And, you know, we'll just get by with the new characters until the, the old Ghostbusters show up. That's not the way the movie turned out at all. And after I saw it, I was like, I'm completely fine with that. I, I'm here to tell you right now, these new characters were so good and so well written. And they acted, the, the, the actors act, acted the part so well and they were so well written that you could have taken the original Ghostbusters out of this movie and it still would have been a good movie. Like, I think Ghostbusters fans still would have really accepted this movie. Now, I'm obviously not advocating for that. The original Ghostbusters are the complete icing on the cake of the movie. The The whole third act, you know, and the end of the third act with them in it is incredible. It was so awesome to see Bill Murray as Peter Venkman again. And, you know, throwing out the one-liners and improv and and... Dan Aykroyd as Ray Stance and Ernie Hudson as Winston Zedmore. And, you know, early on in the movie and in the the end credit, you know, Annie Potts as Janine. I mean, it was awesome to see that. It was, uh, it's, it, you really can't even put into words, you know, I mean, it was, it was a lot like seeing Mark Campbell as Luke again or Harrison Ford as Han again, except for, At some point or another, the character of Luke got divisive in the new trilogy. You know, we had to watch Han, you know, die in The Force Awakens, which was fine in The Force Awakens because it was a part of the story. Um, But in this movie, the way all the characters were done was so respectful it it made sense. It was a continuation. You got to see them you know, suited up and shooting the Proton Pack, standing in front of the Ecto one. I mean, it was awesome. And and that was great. But like I said, up to the point that they made their cameo, I was fully bought into the new characters and what was happening. McKenna Grace's Phoebe, she Kills it. I mean, she is a little Egon. She is, you sympathize with her. And this is, I'm a grown man, and this is a 12 year old girl. And I'm telling you right now, she had me pulled in from the second she came on screen. She was really good. And a lot of that you have to give to her, uh, McKenna Grace, and a lot of that you have to give to Jason Reitman. This was his vision. This was, uh, he and Gil Kennan's, uh, uh, writing. Um, and, you know, that it was just, she, she just, she completely stole the moment in every, you know, scene she was in. She, she was just incredible. And we'll get to more of her in a little bit. Um, One of the, the characters and the actresses that surprised me quite a bit that I thought would be sort of a side character that we wouldn't see just a whole lot of. Um, I knew she would play a part in the story, but I didn't think that she would play as much into the story as she did, was uh, Callie, uh, the character of Callie, uh, Phoebe's mom, Phoebe and Trevor's mom, played by Carrie Coon. Now, full disclosure, I had never seen Carrie Coon, I don't think, in anything other than the Avengers movies, and obviously she was in makeup, CGI, whatever, in that movie, Um, and she wasn't like, you know, one of the main characters, I mean, kind of was, but really wasn't, uh, in those movies. Um, she was great. I mean, the whole sequence, um, at the jail where she and, and Mr. Gruberson come in and, you know, she, she's picking the kids up out of jail and they take them home from the time she sees Phoebe, until the time they get home and her and Phoebe are having that very, you know, serious discussion about, you know, Phoebe saying, why didn't you tell me? My grandfather was Egon Spangler. That whole thing, her and McKenna Grace are just incredible. You, you feel the emotion of what they're saying. It's, it's, it's really close to home for Ghostbusters fans because they're they're talking about Egon and she is so proud. Because you have to remember at this point, Phoebe has met Egon in the form of a ghost she is connected with him on some level and you know you have to remember that callie is sort of a scorned woman she's she felt abandoned by her father she never really knew him so there's this incredible you know chemistry or lack thereof uh you know sort of between them in these moments when when she's saying you know my grandfather you know he was a scientist like me um, you know, he was, uh, you know, I forget exactly what the dialogue was, but basically she likes him and, and, and her mother doesn't. And the, these conversations that they have at home, at, back at the farmhouse, are really emotional. And, and the way that it's written, you know, it's just, it's very well done. And I think that, again, you can give that, the credit for that to, to Jason Rotman along with the, the actresses. But the writing of these characters, again, uh, it's just, it's incredibly well done. Incredibly well done. The moment in the jail where she picks up the um, Neutrona one and points it at the the sheriff and the, the deputy after, you know, they insult Egon. Is I mean, it's like, it's something you've never really seen in a Ghostbusters movie. It's like this really serious moment. Um, but it was just incredibly well done. And it, it went a long way to showing you that, you know, hey, this is a, a, an immature kid still. It's an immature kid. Now, she's very smart. She is, um, without a doubt, the smartest person in this family. She takes after Egon. Um, but... You know she's immature, and and you know she's still got a lot of things to figure out. Um, and it, again, it's just it, it's all in the writing and the acting. It's incredibly well done. Um, the character of Mr. Gruberson, Paul Rudd. Listen, he plays the typical sort of Paul Rudd kind of character, but it's great. It, I, I remember looking over at the, the my friend who you know we went to go see the movie together. At some point in the movie, um, and and saying to him, you know, Paul Rudd was just—he's the perfect guy to cast in a Ghostbusters movie, and 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 you know, my you know friend really, 100% agreed with that. It, it's incredible how, just, you know, how perfect he fits into this movie. He his his sense of humor—it's just. <laughs> There's nobody like Paul Rudd. There really isn't. He, he's sort of his own character. And, and the way that they wrote him into this movie is great. I mean, yes, he is uh, the key master, but he's not really a Lewis Tully kind of character. He's different. He's he's smart. He's a seismologist. And that's how he connects with Phoebe. Um, he's also kind of a believer in some of the you know, supernatural, and that's why he uh, connects with... Uh, podcast and again it's just another um it's another example of really really strong writing you know the 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 gag about him you know not really teaching his summer school but instead showing them these movies like uh uh Cujo and and Child's Play I mean that's that's great it's really good I mean you know his line about um you know, if you've never seen Cujo, imagine Beethoven, uh, but you know, the dog has rabies and is mauling children. I mean, that's just, I don't know. I'm sure that was, I don't know if that was improvised or not. Uh, but it it just perfectly fits Paul Rudd and it it got a big laugh and at least in my theater. Um, but, but that's great. I mean, he, he really is such a likable character. Um, and you know, when I saw him in the trailers, I was like, you know, I really hope they give him more to do than just, you know, becoming the key master. And they do. He fits well into the story. Obviously, he has the, you know, the relationship with uh, Callie and, and you know, they, they go on a date and he's funny and charming and, uh, again, just such a likable character. Now, the characters of Trevor and Lucky, these are the two characters that I've seen a lot of people say, you know, I could give or take. I really liked the character of Trevor. You know, the character of Lucky, I'm sure that you know she had some potential to do more, but um, you know, she just didn't do a ton in this movie other than you know becoming the 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 gatekeeper um uh at the very end of the movie to sort of re uh you know configure, I guess, uh Gozer. Um she doesn't have a ton except for being the love interest of, of Trevor. Um, but she, you know, the important thing is she was a a good character. I don't feel like she, you know, did anything bad. Um, maybe in a sequel she could do more. I mean, that's something we'll talk about towards the end of this video. The character of Trevor I did like, I mean, you know, he's a teenage boy. He likes cars and, you know, he fixed up the Ecto-1 and he's, you know, doesn't have his license but he's you know driving the ecto one around the wheat field and um you know towards the end of the movie he doesn't do a whole lot but you know i i don't feel as though those characters needed that much more to do in this movie i know a lot of people say that uh they should have given them more to do you know in a movie like this you've got little time and a lot to fit in you. I mean, you have to, you're, you're talking about 30 years worth of backstory that you got to fill in. Uh, you've got brand new characters in an established universe that you've got to not only, uh, introduce, but you've got to make us like them or the whole thing doesn't work. Um, and, and I know that they are, uh, some of the new characters, but you've really got to get us to like Phoebe. You've really got to uh, get us to like Podcast, and you've really got to get us to like Callie because if you don't, a big part of that third act doesn't work. You know, the emotional reunion between her and Egon at the end of the film doesn't work at all. If you don't like her character and you don't really get on board with her character, same with Mr. Gruberson. And I know that that's a little easier because it is Paul Rudd and, and, you know, he's pretty much going to be liked in anything he does, but uh, you know, still you, you're fighting that battle of establishing, your place in this universe this far down the road and what has happened here and what has happened here and how is this going to happen and how are they going to get to this point? How are we going to get these cameos from the original Ghostbusters in here? Um, You know, you've obviously got to introduce the tech back into it. You've got the whole plot with a ghost Egon in the movie I just think there simply wasn't time in this movie to really go any further with the the Trevor and Lucky sort of, uh, you know, stories. Uh, you know, I just don't think there was any more time for it. Like I said, if we get sequels, maybe, maybe we can, you know, hopefully we will keep going down that road and and find out some more about these characters. But in this movie, for what they were asked to do, I thought they were really good. Um, story-wise, all right, so, you know, one of the big, um, complaints you hear from some of the critics, and again, I want to specify there's a difference between critics and fans. There's a difference between critics and your everyday audience, there just is. But one of the biggest complaints you hear about is the story of this. I've heard a lot of um, comparisons to The Force Awakens. Uh, You know, you've you've heard a lot of people say, or I've heard a lot of people say, it's retreading old ground, basically doing what the first movie did again. And I want to say this. This movie is not a rehash of the original Ghostbusters. It is not a copy and paste. If you think that it was, you were simply not paying attention. Or... You just haven't seen the first movie in a long time. So, the whole Evo Shandor and Gozer, which is what contributes to that argument, um, it was uh, made clear that he built multiple um, temples. Gozer, in the first movie, when the Ghostbusters quote unquote, defeated Gozer by reversing uh, the flow through the gate by crossing the streams. What they essentially did was they pulled Gozer back into whatever dimension she came from and they closed the portal. They did not defeat Gozer other than just saving their own world. That's essentially what they did. They saved their own world from Gozer, but they did not really kill Gozer. They stopped Gozer. They didn't destroy Gozer. This movie sets up that Egon knew that Gozer was going to come back. And because of um, what was going on with the Ghostbusters at the time that he thought this, uh, you know, Ray explains that, you know, they went from 10 calls to to one a week if they were lucky. Uh, You know, Venkman was saying they did their jobs too well. And then you had Egon over here telling what, few customers they did have that their little problems didn't matter. And there was something big on the horizon. And I think he sort of uh, made Ray pretty angry by seemingly what they thought at the time was, you know, ruining their business and, you know, scaring away customers. And so in the middle of the night, Egon slipped out, took the Ecto-1, took, you know, some of the equipment, including proton packs and stuff, PKE meters. And he moved out to Oklahoma where he, you know, sort of had a a theory that something was coming, that Gozer was coming back. Again, it's important to remember the Ghostbusters did not destroy Gozer in the original movie. They merely pulled her back into the dimension. So it makes sense that because Evo Shandor built multiple portals, Gozer was going to come back again someday. Now, why didn't Ray believe in Egon? Why didn't any of the other Ghostbusters believe Egon? I don't know. Uh, maybe, again, in sequels we'll get into that. And to be honest with you, I didn't really need much more of an explanation. They laid out sort of what had happened, and that was okay enough for me. Again, in a movie like this where you're trying to establish so much, um, I, I didn't need much more explanation than that. That was perfectly fine. Uh, would it have been nice to have gotten a little bit more information on why ray didn't believe him sure but um you know at the same time you know we sort of like i said we got the plot layout we can move forward so i say all that to say this this was not a rehash of the original ghostbusters in the original ghostbusters you got these three uh psychology or parapsychologists um, well, I, mm, I don't remember if, I know, uh, Venkman was a parapsychologist. I forget what, uh, Ray and Egon exactly did, but well, I, kn- I knew they worked at, you know, for the university, but anyway, they get kicked out of the university. They go and start their own business because they believe that they can, they believe in ghosts, obviously, cause they've seen one, but they believe that they can capture, ghosts and do a service sort of like pest control for the city of New York. And then somewhere along the way, they stumble across through, through Dana. uh, They stumble across Zul and, you know, that leads them to Gozer. And they sort of learn more about what Gozer is and Evo Shandor and how Evo Shandor worshiped Gozer and wanted to bring about Gozer to bring about the end of the world. And eventually it leads to the point where um you know Dana gets possessed uh to- Louis Tully gets possessed keymaster gatekeeper uh you know Walter Peck causes the the containment unit to be shut down which in turn releases all the ghosts which is basically the last bit of juice needed to bring about uh Gozer um again along with the gatekeeper and keymaster and they find Gozer and defeat her by pulling her back into the portal. This movie establishes that Gozer was always going to come back. Egon knew it, so he tried to prevent it, and he did was preventing it by what he set up, which again was brilliant to me, that these earthquakes in the movie are caused by this contraption Egon set up that is like on a timer, or there's some sort of trigger that crosses the streams every time Gozer tries to come back. And it stops that from happening. Um, obviously, you have the character of Evo, who has preserved himself there uh, to be able to wake up when this happens. And I guess his hope was to connect with Gozer and rule the world together. I'm not really sure, but obviously we know Gozer immediately rips him in half, which I did not expect. I did not see that coming whatsoever. That was a pretty neat little addition. Um, and this movie is about a family. It's a, it's about the Spangler family and discovering, you know, the Ghostbusters and discovering, you know, their, 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 their history, their family history. And it's just a very different movie. It's, it's made differently, even though it, it fits in well with the Ghostbusters lore and, and the Ghostbusters universe so well, it is different. It's not a retread. So I'm not really sure. I think people just see Gozer and they see a keymaster and gatekeeper and they think, well, oh, this is just the same story. It, it's not. I mean, that's kind of like saying that, you know, uh, what's the best comparison here? That's like saying that, you know, the villain in Infinity War is Thanos and the villain in Endgame is Thanos. So, you know, they're just retreads. No, they're not. They're totally separate movies. And and the same here, it's, it's a separate movie. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure where that comes in. Um, but I loved the story. I absolutely love the story of this movie. I think that if you would have told me going in what the story was, I may have been a little iffy on it, but the way it plays out, the way it sets up everything, the, the, the the likability of the new characters is so well done. Um, it, it just, it works. It works and it works very well. Again, there's a reason why this movie is so highly rated by audiences. There's a reason why fans love this movie. If, if you have only seen this movie once, or if you haven't seen it, I don't know why you're listening to this, but go see it. If you've seen it before, go see it again. I mean, listen, I think that it's important for movies like this that are such respect, respectful sequels. I think, it's important for these movies to do well because it shows studios. It shows, you know, Hollywood that when you respect the property this much, you know, people are going to turn out for it. They're going to respect you back for it, for making it. And, and, and that's, you know, something that we just don't see much. All right. The score of this movie. Again, I think I believe his name is Rob Simpson. The way he takes Elmer Bernstein's original score and really combines it with this like John Williams esque type, you know, uh, atmosphere. I mean, it's still got the atmosphere of the, the Bernstein score, but the way he takes that score and moves it around and combines it with this and adds his own, you know, new elements into it, from the minute this movie comes on screen. Till the mo- till the minute the credits roll it's breathtaking how good this score is i like i i'm like i said i'm gonna be the first person who buys this score on vinyl and i'm gonna listen to it a lot i'm a huge score guy i love john williams i own the score for all of the star wars movies love 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 john williams you know obviously he did jaws and indiana jones and things like that you've also got like um john carpenter who is well known for like the halloween movies or you you know um the fog and things like that i mean i just love movie scores even you know uh if you want to go more modern like the avengers movies and the the how good of scores they have and, and I love the score for Ghostbusters 2, which just came out on vinyl this year uh, by Randy Edelman. I mean, it, it's a really good score. But this score in this movie is, <laughs> it is at least 10 times better than I ever could have hoped it would be. It, it's, oh, it's so good. Again, from the opening credits of this movie, the whole first sequence is like it lets you know straight away how good this score is going to be. It's incredible. And it, and that's all I'm going to say about it. If you haven't listened to it. Um, go take a listen to it. It's on Spotify. I think maybe YouTube. This may be my favorite score of all time. It, it, it's awesome. Uh, special effects. Practical effects. This movie nails it. The terror dogs. Are genuinely kind of frightening. They are incredibly well done. That shot of uh vince clortho the terror dog sitting on the hood of uh, mr gruberson's car and looking down through the broken windshield that is a i mean i wish i could get that as a poster that's incredible when when it's sitting in walmart and eating the food i mean it's incredible even when they cgi the dogs they they still look good um gozer olivia wild is gozer she looks incredible I mean, they nailed it. Again, it's not just about um, writing and acting, but it's about getting, you know, the practical effects right and the special effects right. CGI, if you're going to use it, getting it right. Muncher looked good. The The skeleton that we, uh, the, the minor ghost that we all saw in the trailers uh, that was in the, the little uh, diner um, towards the end of the film, he looks great. He's, he's practical. Um, the bug eye Ghost from the real Ghostbusters, which is in this movie. He looks good. The, the specters coming out of the, uh, mine that is, you know, are the, the pink streaks that we saw from the original movie that Jason Rottman has stated, they just took that from the original film and sort of copied it over, I guess, digitally. Those look great. I mean, it's, it's incredible how good all that looks. I mean, even, they even got things like that right, you know, and that's what is, again, is contributing to why this movie is getting such rave reviews from audiences right now and why it's making way more money than they thought it was going to make. And I'm gonna, I'm here to tell you right now, this week is Thanksgiving. It's one of the big, biggest uh, weeks for uh, movies throughout the year in the U.S. Domestically, I'm expecting this movie to do pretty well this weekend and not really have much of a drop-off. We'll see. Who knows? There's really no way to gauge that, but we'll see. But I think that things like that is what, you know, plays into getting good reviews and people liking your work, um, getting that stuff right. The way this movie is shot and lit is nothing short of fantastic. It is very Spielbergian, but it fits in so well in Ghostbusters. Um, You know, when they're, outside of the farmhouse, or even inside the farmhouse, the way it's lit, it it looks great. Um, The shots of the Ecto-1, that whole chase sequence with Muncher is incredible. When they're driving uh, out on the dirt road chasing Muncher, about to catch him, and it's getting to dusk outside in the film, Uh, the sun's going down, and you see like that wide shot of <clears throat> the Ecto One and Phoebe sitting in the gunner seat shooting up at Manchur, um, and in the background you sort of have the the sun going down and stuff. Man, that that it's just beautiful. It's it's beautiful to look at, and one of the great things about that is. A lot of times you can say this movie looks really good and it sounds really good because of the score and all that, but it, the movie's not that good. This is a movie where you can say it looks good, it sounds good, and it is good. It's got a good story. It's got good characters. Again, just another reason why this movie works. So the third act of this movie, we'll we'll sort of start wrapping it up here. Um, The third act of this movie and when the original Ghostbusters come back and you get the, those great lines of dialogue from, you know, Venkman and, and Ray and, and Winston. And then you get the moments of Egon, ghost Egon on screen, helping his granddaughter. And then he moves around and you get that shot of Egon and, uh, Winston and Venkman and Ray, you know, you get that, and you, if you've seen the movie, you know what shot I'm talking about of them, um, you know, shooting the their Neutron 1s at Gozer. That right there, I mean, that's the money shot, right? That's what we've, that's what we've waited to see. And it sucks that Harold Ramis, uh, may he rest in peace, is gone from us, and we were never able to get that shot uh, with him in person. But I think Jason Reitman did an incredible job, a very respectful job of giving us that moment. And, you know, when Winston, you know, says, I should have called, you know, I miss you. And, you know, Vinkman is Vinkman. And he says, you know, I had a feeling you might turn up. And Ray, you know, sort of apologizes and says, um, you know, I, I should have believed you. I'm sorry. You know, and then you get the moments between uh, Egon and his uh, grandson, his granddaughter, and then his his daughter right before he, you know, sort of evaporates up into the sky. It's just, it's, it's incredibly emotional. It's, again, it, I think it's more than any Ghostbusters fan could have ever asked for. It's such a beautiful tribute to the character of Egon, to Harold Ramis himself, um, to Ghostbusters fans. Again, I will say that this is, you know, the least likely option when it came to a Ghostbusters movie. You could have never really dreamed that we would have gotten something like this, you know, and just for comparison. And again, I know the character of Egon Spengler didn't exist in the reboot, but you know, sort of their testament to Harold Ramis was just a, a statue of his head that was, you know, sort of lingered in a shot for a few seconds. And then you see the difference between that and what this movie did. And I think that it, it really is just about, and again, I'm, I i do not really, I probably shouldn't have even said that because I'm not trying to compare the two, but it's just like, you see what happens when so much respect is given to a franchise and to a character like Egon and, and to, a um, you know, a a human being like Harold Ramis, who personally for me has worked on some of my favorite movies ever. I mean, Vacation, the original Vacation he directed and I think wrote is one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, Stripes, he was in that, which is one of my favorite movies or, you know, Caddyshack, which is one of my favorite movies or, you know, Groundhog Day, I mean, he was just a part of Ghostbusters, obviously, which is my favorite movie. I mean, he was just a part of so much. And to see a tribute to the character of Egon, but not only the character of Egon, but also to Harold Ramis himself on screen like that. And then you have that shot up to the sky where it says Fort Harold. It's perfect. I mean, it is so perfect. It, it's, it's such a way to lay the character of Egon to rest, uh, you know, along with Harold Ramis. Now, um, it it was, it was beautiful. It was perfect. Again, Jason, uh, nailed it. Um, he, he just, he nailed it. Um, and, and, you know, I know that I've sort of been rambling now. Uh, but, you know, I apologize. I'm, I'm going to have to learn how to get the format of this down, but, you know, yeah, that's I love this movie, and when, when you you know really love something as much as I love this movie, you know, you just when you start talking about it, you start gushing about it a little bit. It's not really, you know, there wasn't really any way to script this that I would have stick. I would have stuck to you know. It's more of just me just talking, but um, I loved it, and we'll get into more of it um, later. You know, as far as the end credit scenes go, first off nearly everybody stayed for the fir- the mid credit scene with uh, Vinkman and Dana. Um, Nobody in the theaters I sat in stayed for the last credit. I don't even think, like, I think like a good 75% of the people who saw this movie or have seen this movie today, I don't even think they know that last in credit scene exists, but the mid credit scene uh, was just a charming moment. And, uh, you know, just to see Sigourney Weaver as Dana again. Uh, it was cool. I was fine with her just being in an in credit scene. I don't think that in this movie in particular, there would have been much reason for her to have a lot of screen time, but she was really good. Um, and of course, her and that, her and uh, the character of Inkman, uh, Dana and, and, and Peter, they, they, you know, still had you know chemistry together it was very obvious and of course they're married now which is cool that's uh that's really awesome <laughs> you know as a Ghostbusters fan to see you know that they're they're married you know it worked out between them that's awesome um uh and of course uh she's credited as uh Dana Barrett vankman in, in the credits uh, so that's really cool to see so the last in uh, credit scene with, with Winston and, and Janine and the firehouse and the Ecto-1 coming back in. And then you get the shot with the Ecto containment unit, um, obviously pointing to a sequel, maybe. Uh, first of all, I want to say this. Um, Winston utters the line, you know, I did you know he's talking about his career in finance and why he did it and you know he's funded Ray's shop all these years and you know he says Ray will turn a profit one of these days and it's you know it's just charming moment seeing Winston and Janine on screen and 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 you know he he utters the words you know uh you know I did this for my family or, or whatever but you know I'll always be a ghostbuster that was that kind of hit me you know that's awesome you know that's Uh, you know again it's just a product of seeing you know these characters on screen after so long as their characters in such a respectful and well done and a good movie a very good movie it's awesome all right so just quickly here at the end we're, we're a little over an hour now so i'm gonna try to sort of wrap this up um as far as sequels I'm just going to say right now, I think this movie is going to kick off a a new beginning to the franchise. I think that there are going to be sequels. And I say sequels uh, uh, specifically because I think that it's not just going to be one sequel. I think you could see sequel uh, movies. I think you could see TV shows. Um, Ghostbusters is, you know, you've got a lot of things you could do with this. Jason Ryman has already, you know, pointed to that fact. You know, I I know recently in an interview, someone asked him about the Ecto-1A and is it a separate car or was, you know, it sort of, I guess, demodified to go back to the Ecto-1 at some point in time. And he sort of, you know, mentioned that he didn't really want to speak about that because they have plans going forward. Obviously, with the end credit scene. And his comments like that it's very obvious that he or Sony or the both of them have plans going forward. Um, now the end credit scene, uh, that end credit scene was shot not too long ago. The movie has been done for well over a year, but that was shot much later. Some people rumor has it that Sony believed this movie was going to be a hit. So they had that end credit scene added just to sort of, point to a sequel because they believe the movie was going to be successful. Now Sony, I think pretty conservatively shot for like 25 to 28 million domestically opening weekend is what they were shooting for. Well, the movie did 44 million domestically 60 million overall opening weekend, much better than anybody could have ever predicted. This movie is a hit uh, amongst fans. Now, It's really the second weekend in the box office that everybody looks for because if this movie has a a big drop-off, then it's probably a signal that it's not going to do well. I think that it's going to do pretty well the second weekend and continuing weekends. You have to look. This is a holiday. This is a family movie. It's a movie that people, it's got a lot of buzz right now. A lot of people are really liking this movie. It's getting a lot of word of mouth. I actually talked to somebody at, at work today you know they knew I had went and seen it so they asked me about it because they had heard and they really didn't have any interest in seeing it but they had heard through a few people that hey it's really it's a really good movie so now they're going to see it so this movie is doing word of mouth business right now um the marketing is in its you know most um important state here as we speak because they're really trying to get people to go see this uh the next weekend but you don't have a lot of competing movies down the road i mean you've got um the matrix coming out later you've got uh spider-man coming out later obviously those will you know sort of take up uh the throne when they come out especially spider-man but for a while this movie is gonna be it has the chance to stay you know, in the top five, uh, for a while. Uh, it was number one this past weekend. Good chance. It'll be number one this next weekend. And then we'll see going forward. But, uh, I'm just telling you right now, if you're a fan of Ghostbusters, it's a good time to be alive because I think we're about to get a, uh, uh, you know, sort of a rebirth to the franchise, uh, that we, we always wanted. And it's, it, it could be cool. I do say I want Jason Rotman to be a part of it. And and again, he I think I think he will be a part of at least the next movie. I think that if he's not directing it, he'll write it. Um, you know, I think that he's just said enough so far to sort of indicate that he's got ideas. And I think that somebody doesn't just say that out loud to the public unless they legitimately are considering it and uh or, or you know unless they, they know for sure that, um, they're probably going to do it. So, or at least going to attempt to do it. So, you know, I think that's a good sign for us. And I want to see these, these, these characters back again. I think, uh, best case scenario, the next movie, you have a little bit more of the original Ghostbusters in it and they're passing the torch of, you know, formally passing the torch, um, but I want to see these new characters back. I'm, I'm genuinely interested in that. Um, and you know, this is just, this is a really great movie guys. If you haven't seen it, uh, if you've only seen it once, I encourage you to go see it again, support this movie. It, 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 it's a movie that needs support. It's such a respectful sequel. Um, we don't get a lot of those. So when we do get one like this, I think it's important to support it if you have any rooted interest in Ghostbusters whatsoever, if you don't, then get some rooted interest in Ghostbusters, go see the original, go, go watch the original, rent it, go buy it, whatever, uh, see Ghostbusters two. see this movie. They're all good. In my opinion. So, uh, you know, get on board if you're not on board already. All right, guys. So we'll talk more about afterlife at at a later date. Probably. Um, The next episode, we're going to talk about the original Ghostbusters from 1984. I love that movie. We're going to break it down. Um, And we're really going to take a deep dive into it. And it should be fun looking at that movie now that we have uh, the third movie uh, out. Now it should be fun going back and looking at the, uh, the original so that'll be fun um as far as uh you know you guys being able to interact i am planning on getting some social media up uh pretty soon i want this to be an interactive show i'd like to take questions i'd like to discuss some things with 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 people and uh get some different thoughts and opinions and and discuss those so really looking forward to that um This has been fun, guys. Hey, listen, come back uh, probably next week. uh, Look for uh, Ghostbusters. We're going to break that down. This has been Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes, and I'm Andy, your host. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.